0: We are going to look at bible prophecy from the perspective of the conflict between good and evil we entitled this series war of thrones and what you will find out is when you study bible prophecy and you study the scriptures that there is a battle that is taking place between good and evil and that actually all of us have a place to play in this battle between good and evil and we are going to discover through bible prophecy how this battle started uh, what it's what is happening right now and how this is also also going to conclude or end Uh, and uh, i believe this is going to be an interesting journey and so i just want to really get right into our first presentation here which is entitled revealing the war behind all wars and we're going to start with a story that jesus told in the gospel book of matthew now i'm glad to see that some of you have brought bibles or you you raised your hand and you got a bible passed out to you, uh, handed to you tonight and so you can follow along uh, in the scripture i will also have some of the passages or quite a lot of the passages on the screen but it's always good for yourself to actually read these texts in scripture as well and so the first story that we're going to go to here is a parable that Jesus told that we find in the first book of the New Testament. It's the book of Matthew. Matthew was a text collector. Uh, he became a disciple of Jesus, and he recorded the story of Jesus in the first book of the New Testament. And as Matthew portrays the story of Jesus, he often would also tell the stories that Jesus told. Jesus would tell these stories that we call parables, illustrative teachings uh, about deep lessons of life. And there's this parable in Matthew chapter 13 that is quite fascinating when we are talking here about the the theme of the conflict between good and evil. And Jesus in Matthew chapter uh, 13 in the parable talks about a sower that went forth to sow good seed. And uh, if you've ever you know had a garden or you've sown seed you you do that with an intentionality because you expect something you expect a harvest and so jesus tells the story about a good a sower that sows good seed and he's expecting a good harvest but then in the story he reveals something else and that is that during the night there is someone that comes into this picture and that is an enemy and he sows something else and Now, there is a field, and in the field, there is wheat and tares, and both are growing up. And Jesus tells this remarkable, simple, yet simple story and the disciples are listening to this, and later in the day they come to Jesus and they say, "What did you actually mean with that parable? You talked about a man sowing good seed, and but then you talked about an enemy coming into the picture and into uh, and during the night sowing something else, and then and then eventually uh, the wheat and the tears grew together unto the harvest. What does all of this mean?" And so Jesus gives the explanation. Of this parable, and and if you have it there in your Bibles in Matthew chapter thirteen, take notice what Jesus says, um, or rather, take notice what the disciples ask, and then let's take a look at the response of Jesus. Now, the question of the disciples is in verse thirty six. They heard the parable, and now in the end of the day, they come to Jesus and they say the following. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. There's something that the disciples want to know. They want to know about where those tares came from in the field. They want to know more about the enemy in the story that sowed the tares in the field by night. And then Jesus answers in verse 37 and he says, "Uh, he who sowed the good seed is the son of man. Now, the Son of Man is a reference to Jesus himself. It was a reference that he often used to describe his his work as as the, the, the Messiah that had come. And so he's referring to himself as the one that sowed the good seed, but then he continues in verse 38. He says, the field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one the enemy who sowed them is the devil the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels so suddenly now this this, this simplistic uh, story takes on a whole new meaning and suddenly we become involved in this story because as we go through life it's almost like walking through this field and as we walk through this field in life, we see the tares and we see, we see the wheat and we see the tares. We see the good and we see the evil. We see that there are things that, 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 that just belong to this life, beautiful things. But then there's also suffering and, and, and death. And, and it's sometimes hard for us to, to make sense out of this world. And uh, one, of the, one of the most difficult things to make sense out of is, is really suffering. Where does suffering come from? why do people suffer why is there so much evil in this world and uh you know when you look at life it's almost like it also it always has these kind of two sides to it like you you look at this beautiful rose but when you want to pick it well you notice it has thorns or if you look at a beautiful scene of an ocean this can give good memories to you but for other people this will be a memory of a tsunami that ruined everything that they owned So so life always has these two sides to it. There's the good, there's the evil, there's the beauty, but then then there's the tragedy. And and Jesus in this simple story, this simple parable, he says, there's a a sower that sowed good seed, but there's also an enemy that sowed the tares. And and this is life, we we are like in this field, we're going through this life, and we notice these these two sides of life. Now, I find it very remarkable because um, when I travel around the world, one of the questions that I've received most often uh, in my international traveling and speaking is the question regarding evil. Now, I've spoken at universities, I've spoken at large settings, and, but, but every time that, that people come to me afterwards and they have some kind of Bible question, the, the number one Bible question that I've received throughout this, the last 15 years of international travel and speaking is the question regarding evil. Why is there so much suffering in the world? And maybe you've also come here tonight with that question on your mind. Why is there so much suffering in this world? Do so you know that it's interesting that the question itself indirectly points us actually back to there being a moral standard in the universe. Now, I hope that you uh, switched on your, 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 your brain capacities tonight, because I want you to follow a little bit in this reasoning, okay? Now, look at this. When we ask the question about suffering, why is there suffering, we are acknowledging that there is something such as suffering. Are you with me? Now, if we acknowledge that there's something such as suffering, we're actually also acknowledging that there's something such as evil, because suffering is not good. And oftentimes, when we, when we talk about suffering, we are talking about it related to people, right? Why, does, why do these people suffer? So, there's something that is not good, it's evil. Now, if we acknowledge that there's something such as evil, we must, by definition, also acknowledge that there's something such as good. Otherwise, we wouldn't know the difference between good and evil. Now, in order to know the difference between good and evil, we must acknowledge that there's a moral standard to know the difference. Now, catch this. If there is a moral standard, there must also be someone that is giving this moral standard. Are you with me? a moral standard giver now that's interesting because there are millions of people in our world today that are asking the very same question why is there so much suffering in the world now what is interesting to me is that question will come from atheists that question will come from hindu people that belong to the hindu religion this question will come from buddhists this question will come from muslims this question will come from christians we all have the same question and this question indirectly actually points us to there must be a moral standard. There must be a moral standard giver in order for there to be evil and good and for there to actually to be suffering in the world. Now, how many of you have heard of this gentleman, Richard Dawkins? He's actually one of the most well-known atheists in our world today. He wrote the book, The God Delusion, which has sold millions of copies around the world. Now, I want you to take notice to, the, to, to, to this this uh, statement that he made Uh, richard dawkins said the following there is no evil we are all dancing to our dna now richard dawkins it's 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 kind of like this is what he had to say because he knows and understands that the acknowledgement of evil is also the acknowledgement of good it's an acknowledgement of a moral standard and Perhaps a moral standard giver as well. So, so he is distancing himself from the whole concept of there being anything that is really evil. Now, now uh, there are. I, I know a lot of atheists that 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 aren't here. That wouldn't be. They wouldn't be saying this but 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 richard dawkins at least he is he has taken the 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 he's done the mental exercise we could say to carry his his theory of atheism all the way through to actually have to say that there's no such thing as evil now maybe some of you are familiar with rabbi zacharias and christian apologist and and he said something interesting he said the following when you start and this is kind of a little bit you know wordplay when you start a train of thought it's important to check the ticket to see where it's going to let you off so you know you can have you can have a ticket that says atheism there is no God now that ticket is going to lead you in a certain destinate to a certain destination right you can have the ticket I believe that we're here for a purpose I believe that God has created us I believe that there is a God and that also is going to lead you to a certain destination and so uh, as we come here together tonight And as we're going in the course of the following evenings are going to study together bible prophecy i believe that our ticket is a ticket that says you know what there is actually purpose and meaning in life and the question about suffering actually makes sense because there is something such as good and evil and there is a moral standard and there is a moral standard giver and so this is the ticket that we are holding tonight and it's going to lead us into a certain direction now when you look at Scripture and you look at kind of the big picture of Scripture, there are these central themes that will come and, and, and that will meet you as you read the Bible all the way from the beginning in the book of Genesis to the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And there are basically three words that we are going to examine together in the course of our time together uh, in this series. And, and these are the three words here, creation, conflict, and covenant. Now, what, is, what do I mean by creation? Well, that, that, that God created this world, and, and He created us with a purpose, and He created everything good in the beginning, but then something happened. War of Thrones. We, we have a conflict in the picture. There's a battle between good and evil. We are in the middle of this battle. It's like the parable that Jesus uh, told about the field where there's the wheat and the tares, and they're growing together, and, and we are in that field. We're in that battle. We're in the conflict. But then there's hope and that is that god wants to enter into a covenant with us now what is what does the word covenant mean the word covenant means an agreement between two parties it is a relational word god says you know i want to do something special for you if you allow me to do this i want to become your very best friend i want to give you purpose and meaning and hope in your life i want to enter into a covenant together with you and uh, it's my sincere prayer that in the course of our time together, um, that we're not just going to look at some theory about Bible prophecy, but I really hope that in the course of our time together, that, 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 you will, that you will see some beauty in this relational dynamic of the covenant that God wants to enter into with you personal, personally. And so it's my prayer that we may, that we may experience that covenant that God wants to make with every single one of us. Now, let, let's, let's look for a moment at, um, at creation. Uh, because just as the parable in Matthew chapter 13 that Jesus told tells us that there was a man that went forth sowing good seed, so the Bible begins with this picture of God creating the world very good. In uh, the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, uh, the Bible says, then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good and so the evening and the morning were the sixth day and this this picture of a very good world a very good universe is the starting point of scripture it's the creation of god and and it's very beautiful because not only did god just create a beautiful world but when it came to the creation of mankind he said something very special in genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and 27 The Bible says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So when God created, yes, he created everything beautiful, but there was something special about mankind mankind male and female were created in the image of God there's there's some likeness just like when we procreate and 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 if you're a parent and you have a child there's some likeness in your child right of yourself and and God created us in his image this is the creation picture but then we have the conflict right and you don't have to read very far into your Bible Because in Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters, you have a a perfect world and a perfect creation, and there's no death, there's no suffering, there's no pain. But then you come to chapter 3, and that's where the conflict is introduced. And we're going to go to that passage in, in just a bit. Now, it's interesting because uh, uh, over time, many um, uh, philosophers and, and, and poets and, and writers and, and historians have written about this theme of, of the Bible and, and the conflict um, in the Bible. Uh, one of the most well-known writers of uh, English poetry uh, was John Milton. And John Milton, in the 17th century, he was blind, by the way, but he wrote remarkable, or he cited remarkable books that were written. And uh, one of his best works was um, Paradise Lost and in Paradise Lost, in the, in, in the course of 12 books, he, he writes about this experience that we also read about in the Bible, how the paradise in the beginning was, was lost, and, and all that happened uh, during this great conflict. And uh, what you see, uh, both in his writings, but what we see even in more detail and more precisely in Scripture, is how this battle occurred. Now, again, our our theme for this presentation series is war of thrones and it's interesting because there is a battle between good and evil that is that is described in the scriptures and the battle is described between god and and christ and an individual by the name of lucifer later known as the devil or satan but originally known as an exalted angel by the name of lucifer And there are these cryptic uh, passages in Scripture that open our eyes to the conflict that is basically the war behind all wars. Now, I want to bring you to a passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, that, that opens up. It's almost like we get a peek behind the scenes as to what happened in the beginning and how this conflict began our title tonight is a war the war revealing all wars right so so we're looking here at the first battle the first war and uh, in isaiah chapter 14 verse 12 to 14 listen listen to what the bible says it says how you are fallen from heaven o lucifer son of the morning how you are cut down to the ground you who weakened the nations for you said in your heart I will ascend into heaven I will exalt my throne above the stars of God I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the further sides of the north I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will be like the most high now there's this word that repeats again and again and again and it's the word I Lucifer which was an exalted angel created by God was not content with his position He wanted to be like God. Now, he didn't want to be like God in character, but he wanted to be like God in power and authority. And so, he assumed, he he wanted something more than he was given. And, And this reveals the mindset of Lucifer. He wanted to exalt his throne, war of thrones. God is on the throne god is the king of the universe god is omnipresent god is omniscient he's all powerful he's all-knowing but lucifer is a created angel even though he had a very exalted position he was not content and he wanted more and so and so this battle starts this this war of thrones begins now in order to understand the war of thrones and to understand the conflict between good and evil in the bible we need to go and we need to look at different passages throughout Scripture. And there are like different revelations that were given to different prophets at different times. And when you put these puzzle pieces together, and I like the way that Andre, as he introduced this series, it's like, it's like putting pieces of puzzle pieces together, but then it, it gives us a more complete picture of this battle. Now, take notice what it says in the book Ezekiel. So this is another prophet, Ezekiel. And he also writes about this exalted being lucifer he writes the following in ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 13 and 14. he says you were in eden the garden of god every precious stone was your covering and look at how he describes this magnificent being the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, the emerald with gold, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. Now, this is a very interesting description. It uses the the, the expression here, anointed cherub. Cherub now if you look at that word and you look at where it appears in the Bible Basically a cherub is is an angel, but it's not just any angel an anointed cherub is a very special angel Uh, As a matter of fact, you will find this expression used when it describes The Ark of the Covenant now this might be a new theme for you But we're actually on a on a future night We're gonna go a little bit more deep into into the Ark of the Covenant because there's amazing prophecy that's connected with it but basically the Israelites were given this tent structure called the sanctuary where they would worship God. And inside the sanctuary, there was a very important piece of furniture. And it was called the Ark of the Covenant. Inside, they would put the Ten Commandments. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was what was called the Mercy Seat. And you would have two angels that were carved out of gold. And these two angels were referred to as the anointed cherubs. So this is interesting. When the Bible describes this this foe, this enemy, the one that w- that made war against God, it describes that at one point he was an anointed cherub. He was in the very presence of God. He walked back and forth, as it describes there in Ezekiel, into the very presence of God, the anointed cherub. But then something happened, and the Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 15. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created, but listen to this, till iniquity was found in you. Now, this is one of the other big questions that I get when I travel. And people will say, yes, but how can this be? Because if, if God is a perfect God, how can a perfect God create something Imperfect. How can it be that that if god is all-knowing and omniscient and all-powerful why did he create satan why did he create the enemy why did he create the devil and this is a very valid question a very important question but what i would say is this god did not create the devil he didn't create satan Uh, this is a being that later became an adversary that became an enemy god created a beautiful angel An angel that had and here comes the key word okay an angel that had free will an angel that had free will think of it like this if you have a a son uh, or a daughter uh, that commits a horrendous crime and ends up you know in jail for the rest of their lives um, did you create that well you you brought that child into the world but but maybe you taught them very different things but they had a free will they made decisions they chose their own direction right and, and God created a beautiful angel, but the angel decided to make war against his maker. Now, now this is very important for us to look at a little bit of the philosophical reason be, be behind this, because think about it like this. What were the options that were available to God? Okay, well, perhaps you could say, well, one of the options available to God would be uh, to create nothing at all, because then you have no problem, right? I just won't create anything, because if I create anything, that involves risk it's almost like parents right why do parents actually you know why do they procreate why do they have children isn't that a huge risk to have a child for sure you, know, you never know what it's going to be what he or she is going to be like maybe they become like you right so so it's a big risk but the Bible tells us that God is love and listen very carefully love by definition must be shared I mean love doesn't exist in it, by itself love is an expression between individuals right and so it wasn't really an option for god to not create anything if god is love but then you could say well perhaps he he could create beings who were not free he could create angels but the angels would always obey the angels would not rebel he could create human beings that would always obey but again this 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 has a problem because if god is love then love must be able to have a free will, right? Love must be able to say yes or no. Otherwise, it's not really true love. And uh, we all know how that would be if we would have children, and the children were just programmed to obey. Yeah, that would be nice for a day. You know, do the dishes, and they would do the dishes, and you know, do this, and they would do that. But in the long run, if, if, if a child is programmed to obey, well, there, where is the expression of love, right? So, so again, this is not, not an option. But then, What is left well create beings who are free free to love or not to love again first john 4 8 one of the most important scriptures in the bible the bible says god is love god is love That, that motivates that's the very starting point of of his character and everything that he is and in order for love to be real love It must be allowed to say no it's like a marriage why why is why is a, a wedding or a marriage so beautiful well it's because one individual out of from their free will says yes and another individual from his or her free will says yes and because they both have under by free will chosen for one another that that's what makes marriage so beautiful and so and so here God is creating but he's creating with a free will love requires freedom. But freedom involves risk. And risk, what does that involve? Well, it involves moral responsibility. Think about it. Um, Maybe some of you are parents here, and uh, that day comes, you know, and your child is ready to get into the car, and (laughs) they're going to drive. And they ask, Dad, Mom, can I I borrow your car? Well, that's a big risk, right? (laughs) But, but it's a risk, but it's, also, it's actually also giving something to your child. What is it giving to your child? Responsibility. Moral responsibility. And the moral responsibility requires moral choice. So, so your child is going gonna, is gonna to have to make some moral decisions to show that they're worth that, the, the, the risk of, of, of you allowing them to, in this instance, to, to use the car. So, So here we have a God that created angels, that created human beings. It involves a risk, but He's willing to take that risk because He wants to give us freedom of choice, which is an amazing gift that we have all received. Now, how does this play out in the great controversy between good and evil? How does this play out in this war of thrones? And how does this impact us? Because We're talking here about an exalted angel by the name of Lucifer that decided to rebel against God. And because of this angel being very intelligent and beautiful, the consequences of the battle are also far beyond what we could even imagine. And I want to take you on a little bit of a thought experiment here tonight to illustrate uh why the world is as it is uh, because of this fallen angel because i think i think this 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 might this might help a little bit this illustration so we're going to start with a cow okay now let's call this cow uh molly the cow okay uh i've never owned a cow maybe you have uh but i have some friends that have cows and cows can be good or ba- good and bad now if i told you tonight i have a friend that has a cow and this cow is really good what do you think about, or what kind of list of attributes can you, can you write down or compile when I tell you this is a good cow? What, what, what influence can a good cow have upon society? Well, you could say maybe, yeah, it's a good cow because um, she gives milk, okay? That's one thing. Uh, she doesn't kick people when they come, uh, and she's, she's friendly. Uh, she doesn't jump. Um, you know, over the, uh, across the fence, uh, but, but the, the list is not going to be a very long one. You know, a good cow can be good, yes, in their own right, but, but the list is not very long. Now, if I said, uh, this cow is, is just a terrible cow. Now, you could say, okay, what does a terrible cow do? Well, it doesn't give milk, maybe kicks the person that comes and wants to greet him or her, uh, perhaps does jump across the fence, but, but the list, again, is not very long. Are you with me? Now, this is a cow, now, what if we move a little bit on here? What if I say, okay, <laughs> Max the dog, and Max the dog is a really good dog. Well, what can a good dog do more than a good cow, right? A good dog can, you know, get the newspaper, go and get the newspaper. A good dog can even save a person's life, right? Uh, a good dog can, can chase away uh, an intruder. Uh, so the list is a little bit longer. The influences are a little bit wider and, and, and expanded. Again, when you say, you know, this is a bad dog, you know, he bites the wrong people, and uh, you know, and 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 you could you could again have a little bit of a longer list. But take notice now. We move from the cow to the dog. But what if I say a human being, a man? You know, if I say, well, you know, this is a really, I know this guy, and he's just a great guy. He's a good guy. Well a good man can be a good husband a good father uh, raise his children well can can have influence upon society help people do a lot more than the cow and the dog but again vice versa if i say this is an evil guy this is a this is a horrible guy this is really a bad person well again the the influences of that bad person are greater than the influences of the bad cow and the bad dog are you with me now i'm just i'm just taking you here on a little thought experiment then what if I say, well, there's this genius, this genius, well, what can a genius do? A genius can do a lot of good. Perhaps they can, perhaps they can invent some, some cure to some, some horrible disease. Perhaps this good genius person can, can help us to, to invent something that will make life a lot easier. But then on the other hand, if you say this, um, this genius, you know, if they use that, that incredible mind for dark purposes, well, you know, the influences of that are far beyond uh, the influences of, 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 of any of us here, perhaps. And so, so it's interesting to note how, how we're, we're seeing the influence is becoming wider and wider spread. Now, if the Bible then describes that there is a battle between good and evil, and this battle involves an angel that was once in the presence of God, an angel that was intelligent an angel that was beautiful an angel that was the commander over all the other angels an angel that was an anointed cherub an angel that was intelligent and beautiful and strong and and all of these things and what if that angel turned bad what if that angel would make war on god What if that angel would rebel against his maker? What would the universe look like? Well, perhaps the universe would look a little bit like the world that we live in. Perhaps the universe, perhaps the world would look a little bit like the world that we live in. Because in our world, do we find beautiful things? Oh, yes. But do we find tragedy? Oh, yes. And sometimes these things are very close, right? Sometimes from one day to another day, you get that phone call, and perhaps it's a phone call that gives you great joy, but then there's another type of phone call that gives you great sorrow. And, and this sometimes life, it's so delicate, and, and the good and the evil are so close to each other. It's like the parable that Jesus spoke of in, in, in Matthew chapter 13. It's like the field is the world, and there's the wheat and the tares, and both are growing, and we're like walking through that field. We're walking through the world. There's the beautiful birth of a child. There's the, there, there's the horrific... Um, um, uh, a death of a loved one. There's the beautiful moment that we cherish uh, with that loved person, but then there's that, 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 that terrible diagnosis of cancer, and all of these things are playing out in our lives, and we recognize that, yes, there is suffering, but there's also more than just suffering. There's also something good, and there's something beautiful, and, and how do we make sense of all of this? Well, i'm just going to be very frank tonight for me when i was looking into this as a young person when i was looking into these questions of suffering these questions of life i must say that that bible prophecy provided some incredible answers because now i can look at the world through the lens of scripture I can look at the world through, through the glasses of Bible prophecy, and there's this paradigm shift that has happened because now I can look at the world in the view of a conflict between good and evil, and suddenly things start making sense. Yes, that's why tragedy happens. Yes, that's why this happens. There is an, an enemy in the picture. There's a fallen angel that is making havoc in our world today, but there's also... God that has created good things and He has given us hope through Jesus Christ. And, and this conflict that I'm in the middle of, uh, I, can, I can actually navigate my way through it with the Bible in my hand. Amen? With Scripture to guide me and lead me. You know, in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, and if you, start, if you, if you continue to come to this to seminar, which I hope you do, we're going to spend some significant time in the last book of the Bible. It's an incredible book. It's a book full of prophecy. It's a, it's a book full of, of revealing the conflict between good and evil. And it's also a book that is full of hope, hope for the future, hope for a better uh, future and a good end to this world. And in Revelation chapter 12, it describes the conflict between good and evil. Now, take notice what it says. Revelation chapter 12 and verses 7 to 9. It says, and war broke out in heaven. And that's already a phrase that kind of catches us a little bit off guard because war broke out in Afghanistan. Okay, we have heard about that. War broke out in Iraq. Okay, we've heard about that. War broke out in some, you know, African nation. But, but war breaking out in, in heaven? I mean, wh- what? Heaven, isn't that all about the, you know, the cute little angels that, you know, fire the, the, the arrows that are sitting on clouds and, and people playing their harps? Isn't that what heaven is like? Well, that's kind of the picture that sometimes we have been presented of heaven. But, but do you know what? The Bible tells us that the first war that ever broke out, the first conflict that ever broke out, it happened in Heaven. And what happened well it says michael which is basically another word for for jesus jesus has many names in scripture and michael actually means the one that is like god and so this is a description of, of of jesus here michael jesus and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought so here there's here there's a war of thrones there's a conflict between good and evil look listen to what it says but they that is the dragon and his angels they could not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer so the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and satan who deceives the whole world he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with them so there's a battle and the battle was won by christ and so the devil is removed from heaven but that doesn't that doesn't mean that the war is over because the war has now continued on this planet now this is an important question that we need to ask. How is this war won? You know, it, it, when we look at wars uh you know on our planet, Earth, well, it's about the size of your army, it's about what kind of weapons you have available, and so one nation can be stronger than another nation. So is this just about physical strength? Is it just about, you know, who can overcome or overpower the other? How is this war actually won? And this is fascinating because what we're going to discover in the course of our time together in this prophecy seminar is that this war is won in a very in a very unique way a very different way than you would perhaps expect because god in his omniscience and in his power and in his authority he could with one snap of the finger wipe out lucifer i mean no no big deal like lucifer you're rebelling okay zap you're gone but god didn't do that and the question is why did god not do that because he had something important to reveal about his character. If Lucifer were suddenly gone, what would the other angels think? Oh, okay, so that's what happens when you rebel. That's what happens when you have questions. <laughs> no, no, no. No, he was going to let the evil play out in order to reveal something about evil, but also, even more importantly, about his own character of love. And so this, 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 this controversy is given room. It's given room to expand and, and, and even to involve this world. But God is doing something remarkable in the midst of all of this. Now, we're not going to go into any depth in Genesis chapter 3. We might do that on another evening. But it's interesting that when you look at the origin of the conflict in Genesis chapter 3, and you know, you remember the story. Uh, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they could eat of all the fruits in the garden, but one tree they are not to eat of. And that tree was placed there because God honored their choice he honored their free will he gave them the opportunity to to decide for something else and then you know the story they picked of that they, they ate of that that fruit and so they actually sided with the enemy and so this world was plunged into the conflict between good and evil but it's interesting because in the very beginning already the enemy was sowing his lies because he said, you know, to Adam and Eve, oh, has God said that you can't eat of any of the trees? In other words, is God restricting you? Is God holding back from you? And, and then the enemy said, you know, he said, well, you know what? If you, if you eat of this, this fruit, you won't die. In other words, God cannot be trusted. And then, and then he said something else. He said, and by the way, if you do eat of this fruit, you will become like God. And uh, perhaps that's not, that's something that God doesn't want. God is selfish. And so there's these lies that already are, are introduced in the very beginning of the conflict. God is restricting you. God cannot be trusted. God is selfish. And so what is God gonna do in order to defute these lies, in order to reveal the truth? Well, he's not in a rush. Gradually, over time, throughout, throughout the biblical narrative, the biblical story, God is actually meeting these lies lies of the devil and revealing the truth about his character but it must be done carefully and it must be done thoroughly so that in the end of this conflict there will be no doubt in the minds of the angels and in the minds of people what god is really like and that's why i think it's so fascinating when you come to the story of the new testament it's so fascinating when you come to the life of jesus because when jesus came into the world it was like god giving everything that he had he said, okay, here's my son. And, and, uh, and God comes in the flesh, the incarnation. He's incarnate. He became one of us. God doesn't hold anything back from us. And all the prophecies in the Bible that predicted the coming of Jesus and what he would do were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. We're going to look at some of those incredible prophecies in the course of this uh, seminar. And then not only that, in the very end, Jesus gives his life as a ransom for us instead of being selfish he is actually selfless he's poured out for the human race you know in Isaiah chapter 14 we read that passage earlier Lucifer he wanted to go in the upward direction he said I will ascend into heaven I will exalt my throne above the stars of God I will sit on the mount of the congregation in the north in the in the further sides of the north I will ascend above the heights of the cloud I will be like the most high but do you know how that passage ends It actually ends with saying that he will be brought down to sheol to the lowest depths of the pit in other words his self-exaltation will end in his humility there's another passage in the bible in the new testament in philippians chapter 2 where it describes what jesus did in order to win this battle because this battle lucifer wants to go up what is jesus going to go is he just going to go higher than lucifer and say hey 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 I'm over here. You're just down there. Do you know what Jesus did? How he won the war? He won the war by coming down. He won the war by humiliating himself. He, be, he won the war by becoming one of us. In Philippians chapter 2, you can do this as a little homework assignment. You can go back and read that chapter. It's fascinating. It, it talks about how Jesus was equal with God, and, but he made himself of no reputation, a bondservant. He came in the likeness of man. He humbled himself and he died on the cross. But because of that the passage ends there in philippians 2 that he will be highly exalted and given a name above every name and every knee will bow to him isn't it fascinating how is the war won it's by jesus humbling himself and becoming one of us who would have expected that have you ever heard of um have you ever heard of let let me skip a few I'll, i'll come back to these slides in just a moment have you ever heard of this this young, 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 young lad, uh, his name is Bobby Fischer. And uh, Bobby Fischer, he was what was called, he was considered the greatest chess mind in the history of chess. And, and he was only 13 years old in 1956 when he played against Donald Brun, which was in his early 50s. So here's this young guy, 13 years old, and he's playing against Donald, which was a very well-established, well-known expert in chess. Um, and so they're, they're playing this game. And then something remarkable happens. It comes to the 17th move of 38 total moves in the whole game, and Bobby, he does something this this 13 year old he moves his queen so it can be taken by donald's bishop and the commentator and everyone that's looking on the game they thought oh he's lost the plot he, he his queen has been taken but what happened after that is brun he takes the queen but over the course of the next 21 moves he loses the game it is referred to as the greatest sacrifice in the game of chess bobby Fischer saw the whole game this this brilliant 13 year old boy was able to see every single move that was coming in the game so he sacrificed his queen to win the game and i thought about that and i thought isn't it remarkable in the war of thrones in the great conflict between good and evil god sacrificed his son but he saw the outcome of the game can you say amen? hallelujah he saw the outcome he knew where this was heading and he knew that that even though his son would give up his life on the cross even though he would be humiliated on this instrument of torture even though they would put the nails through his hand and the crown of thorns on his head even though they would take his very life at that moment the devil thought that he had a victory over over jesus and over god but it turned out to be his very defeat because the whole game was known by God. He had all foreseen every single move. And this was the revelation of his love. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting love, but have everlasting life. You know what is so fascinating about all of this? is that in this conflict between good and evil, God is not on the sidelines, merely looking down at this conflict and letting it play out here on earth. The amazing thing about this war of thrones and this conflict between good and evil is that God Himself stepped into the conflict. Jesus became one of us. And let me just back up a couple of slides here because the scripture tells us over and over again that Jesus was willing to suffer. He came, the Messiah came to suffer. He suffered, and he suffered for our sins. This, there's this amazing passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, a very prophetic passage about what Jesus would do. And listen to what it says. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed that's how the war is won christ suffered so you can be set free christ took your penalty and your sins upon himself so that he could grant you the healing of your soul the healing that we all are in great need of that's why the bible says in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Amen? Amen. Oh, if you've come here tonight with something on your heart, something on your mind, some, some burden that you're carrying, you know what? I have good news for you tonight. You can cast that care upon him. Amen. You can cast it upon Christ because he wants to take that, whatever you are, whatever you're dealing with, whatever, whatever is on your mind, whatever is, is, is pressing you down, let, just place it on him. And he wants to set you free. You know, this is an interesting picture. The earth seen from Voyager 1 at a distance of more than 6.4 billion kilometers. Oh, that's kilometers. That's how we, you know, that's how we do things in Europe. But here it is, that little dot. That's where your life is played out. Your whole life, that's where you live, that's where I live, that's where we all live. That's where we all live for thousands and thousands of years. And yet God, looking on at this great conflict, He could have just said, oh, I have enough other planets. I have enough, enough other universes. No, He was interested in that planet. He wouldn't let it go. He sent His Son to die so that this conflict can be resolved and so that He can give us hope for the future. Heavenly Father, I'm just so grateful to be here in Oregon. Thank you for bringing me and my family safely here. Thank you that we could begin tonight with our prophecy series, The War of Thrones. Thank you for every single person in the community that has come out. I pray that we have received the blessing. And I pray, Lord, that you will just remind us that that you want to carry our burdens and that in the midst of this conflict between good and evil, that you are right by our side. Bring us back tomorrow, Lord, as we continue our journey together, for we ask these things in your beautiful name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.